Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Rabbi shahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Subhanak la ilmu lana illa ma'alamtana. Subhanak la ilmu lana illa ma'alamtana. Subhanak la ilmu lana illa ma'alamtana amma ba'd. We are on our uh, last five, ten ayats of the surah, inshallah. Maybe today, maybe next week, we'll see, inshallah, we're wrapping up this surah at least. قَالَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى يَسْأَلُكَ النَّاسُ عَنِ السَّاعَةِ قُلْ إِنَّمَا عِلْمُهَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّ السَّاعَةَ تَكُونُ قَرِيبًا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَعَنَ الْكَافِرِينَ وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ سَعِيرًا خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا لَا يَجِدُونَ وَلِيًّا وَلَا نَصِيرًا يَوْمَ تُقَلَّبُ وُجُوهُهُمْ فِي النَّارِ يَقُولُونَ يَا لَيْتَنَا أَطَعْنَا اللَّهَ وَأَطَعْنَا الرَّسُولَ وَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّا أَطَعْنَا سَادَتَنَا وَكُبَرَاءَنَا فَأَضَلُّونَ السَّبِيلَ ربنا آتهم ضعفين من العذاب والعنهم لعنا كبيرا يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تكونوا كالذين آذوا موسى فبرأه الله مما قالوا وكان عند الله وجيها يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ فَازَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا These are ayat 63 to 71 Leaving the last two verses which I didn't recite of the surah Allah Azza wa Jal in the previous verses mentioned some of the the signs of the hypocrites those who are going to be cursed and wherever they will be found they will be Arrested, they will be they will be taken for their mischief that they cause. They're the bad apples that ruin the entire environment. And Allah says, wherever they may be, they will be caught and they will be in cursed. To be cursed is to be pushed away from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah says, Sunnatullah This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way of doing things. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's method. You will never find any type of change in this method. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way of doing things and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's method of cleansing the hypocrites and removing them uh, will never change. So we learn from here, a simple piece of advice to myself and all of us, that uh, when, we are taking a, when we are taking a stand Make sure we do not take a stand against the da'wah towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make sure we do not take a stance against the deen. Make sure we do not take a stance against those who are inviting towards the deen. It's really, really important. Let's not allow our personal grudges and personal issues come and uh, mix our feelings. And lest we fall into very big problem. Subhanallah. What, sometimes people have a problem with someone. Okay, you can't get along with everyone. But he's running in an Islamic school. He's running a masjid. He is serving in some non-for-profit that's serving the poor, the needy. 
Now you have a problem with someone, an issue which is possible for some, some whatever reason. Maybe there was a you know some marital issue or whatever the case may be. Some his extended relative married your extended relative, and then they didn't get along, so now they got divorced. Okay, so how does that allow us now to go on a campaign against a certain organization that is serving the needs of the people? This is what I'm speaking about. This is really dangerous. You know, you're sitting there petitioning people against XYZ, but what are you doing? You're in reality, you're petitioning people against the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Someone is doing the work of deen. How dare you and I can think of taking a stand against the deen of Allah, against a masjid, against an Islamic institution, against some sort of deeny work, and to say, do not go pray salah in that masjid. Huh? Do not go and help the poor through this organization, etc. Unless, of course, there is some uh, fear, genuine fear, and no one knows how genuine you are besides you and your Lord. No one knows how genuine you are besides you and your Lord. It's easy to say, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to save your money from being wasted. I'm trying to save your children from being har harmed, etc. It's easy to say stuff like that. But what is your real deep agenda? Allah knows that. If your deep agenda is, is to just simply harm someone, or harm, not harm them, but rather harm the deeny work they're doing. It's collateral damage. The deen has become collateral damage. We, we're trying to target a person, rightfully or wrongfully. But in the process of that, the entire organization or the deeny work that they're doing gets bombed with that. It gets ruined with that. How is that, how is that permissible? How is that halal? How is that not going to allow a person to eventually get roped in by Allah Azza wa Jal? That's, this is what we're speaking about. This is the dangerous situation. That a person is sometimes not thinking. So never take a stance against the Allah Azza wa Jal. Never take a stance against invitation towards Allah. Never become a means of stopping people from praying in the house of Allah Azza wa Jal. I'm not saying things out of thin air. We, you and I know what I'm, what I'm speaking about. There's so many examples in the past years of incidents within the communities where this has happened. People will petition outside of the masjid. Say, nay, this is like a strike outside the masjid. Don't go inside. Don't go pray. We lock the door. This thing, that thing. All kinds of ajib things have happened all over the, our communities. And so, do not allow the hatred of an individual to, to end up becoming the hatred for deen. And you see now many of the youth who today who leave the fold of Islam, unfortunately, they blame it on their parents. They blame it on their Quran teacher. They blame it on their first place where they learned the deen. It doesn't work. That, is that an excuse that's going to be accepted in the eyes of Allah Azza wa Jal? If someone oppressed you, your parents or your teacher or Islamic school or whatever the case may be, that's, they will face Allah in the court themselves. You cannot use that as an excuse to say you're done with Islam. You cannot use one person's actions and to attack the entire faith. That's what the non-Muslims, Islam of some of the non-Muslims, not all of them, some of the Islamophobes, or if you, may, you want to use that word, do that against us. They say, one person did this incident, so now that's why we hate all, all Muslims. And we tell them, no, this is not right, you can't do that. But we find ourselves doing the same thing. One, one person from one, gener from one background did something wrong, and now we say all, eth this ethnicity, everyone with that er from that background are horrible people. Because one person from that background did something wrong. It's, it's quick, how, it's weird how we judge people based on one incident, you know. So I remember one person, he went to uh, Turkey and he was, had a bad experience with a taxi driver. So, uh, you know, 
when he was married with kids, the guy gave him 500, uh, and he thought he was giving him, you know, 50, he didn't know the number. And so the guy gypped him, took him an extra 400, 500, you know, liras or whatever, a currency they use there. MashaAllah, he's a professional, wealthy individual with his family. He's not going to be poor if he loses 400, you know, the currency of that place. So then he was just saying, yeah, maybe people are like this. I had such a bad experience. Then in the conversation he told me, when he was a young student, like 20, 30 years before that, he was also traveling via Turkey. And uh, some person picked him up from, from the hotel. And when he said, bye, I'm from a Muslim country. And man, I'm a student. I have no idea what to do. The guy, he said, that taxi driver literally took him around the entire city. The whole day he stayed with him. Took him from, he felt, you know, sometimes there's such ajeeb souls, amazing people. He took him around the whole city and took care of all his needs, food, this, that, all that stuff. And then charged a cent. He said, you are a student, you're, you don't have much money, no problem. This is a khidmah for, the, for you. So I told him, look at how selective your memory is. You're telling me this later on. In that same country, this happened. I said, that, that, he, that time you were a student, you have money. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the money 30 years later. Look, with inflation, probably it's the same. You know? 30 years later, what you paid, you know, 400 is probably easy with inflation, is maybe you still got a discount. So how we selectively remember incidents. That one incident made you turn off against the whole country. That same 30 years later, how that person helped you in that country, you forgot. So the idea is that never take a stance against the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, against those who are serving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Lest we become from amongst those people who've been spoken about here, malunin, that they're cursed wherever they go. Let it not be. There's a lot of scandals going on. Too many scandals in the community. Too much chatter. And, you know, this one, pro this and against that. And it really, this isn't something we should all run away from. Someone messages you, asks you, what do you say about this? Say, I don't know. I'm not involved in that. I have no idea. There's other things I have to worry about. Right now I got my bills to pay for. <laughs> Bring the dunya, no problem. It's better to be involved taking care of your bills than be involved in this. But I see this is happening too often. That people are conflating and mixing dislike for someone and it's literally turning to dislike of deen. Oh yeah, We're not talking about the murtad kids here. We're not about the atheist kids. We're talking about people who still pray. But he said, no, I'm going to do everything I can to stop people from going to that masjid. Or stop people from coming to this jummah. We've heard ajeeb incidents, things that you would never imagine would happen in a masjid. You have a problem with the board, you have a problem with the, in the middle of taraweeh. Oh, there's fundraising going on, but why is this organization fundraising? Why is the masjid fundraising? Because I have a problem with the board, so now what are you going to do? You put the fire alarm on. A real incident happened. So now, subhanAllah, the whole masjid gets empty, whole taraweeh gets canceled, winter gets canceled in the middle of Ramadan. Can you imagine something like that happening? Not once, not twice, multiple times. Because someone's got a problem with some board member. Or someone's got a problem with someone in the community. And says, now today this money is going to go to the masjid. So now, like literally, isn't it shocking how shaitan can play tricks with you? 1,500, 2,000 people who had nothing to do with this. Have no idea what you're even doing. False alarms are being done to, and depriving the people from the house of Allah in the nights of Ramadan. Because you have a grudge against someone. Whether it's a correct grudge or incorrect grudge, that's besides the point. How can you allow that to come between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen? Now masjid doesn't belong. Someone could be the founding member, could be president, could be the sole donor, owner, whatever. There's no owner of that besides Allah, otherwise not a masjid. How is that going to be? So why are we getting involved in stuff like that? There's shaitan playing tricks. 
We're trying to establish the truth. We want the deen to, we, the deen, hey, we are the defenders of the deen. No, you're the destroyers of the deen. You cannot defend the deen if you attack a masjid, if you cause disruption in a masjid, if you cause disruption against an Islamic institution. You do petitions, this, that, all that type of things to close down an Islamic school. Yeah, 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 this is happening a lot in our communities. Close down this school, close down the madrasa, close down this, close down that. You have issues with people, deal with that, but do not attack institutions. Because the average 99% of the people don't even know what you're talking about. And because of certain individuals speaking about this trash that may have or may have not happened, what happens, they end up becoming deprived of the deen that is being practiced, the deen that's being taught, and you end up becoming the agent of shaitan unknowingly. Do not become assisters of shaitan. Right? Don't become assistant of shaitan. We have to become assistants of Rahman, not the assistants of shaitan. So this is how shaitan unknowingly, we unknowingly get duped by him. And we end up joining and signing up to his army. Signing up and joining his ranks. And doing his dirty work, all dressed up in sunnah. In the name of Islam. That's why there's a statement, which means sometimes what you say is right, but the niyyah behind it is evil. Sometimes the niyyah is evil. What you're saying, face value is correct. But the agenda that a person has behind that is, is what the problem lies. You're not trying to establish the truth there. You're trying to, you're trying to settle some scores. That's why we, sometimes when you go to a community, when you go through Q&A, first of all, one of the usul, don't do open Q&A. Because you don't know what's going to happen. That's what our teachers taught us. And then number two, when you look at the Q&A, you have to understand, people use the, the visiting scholar, you know, they want, they want to use him to settle scores. There is a noise. Okay, you're asking a fatwa, I'm saying this. I have no idea what the hidden agenda behind this question is. That's why sometimes our ustads would be very frank. Sawal puste, bayi sawal kiska hai? Kiska sawal? Whose question is this? Aapka hai? You're asking about marriage. Brother, you're very young. You don't look like you're married because you're asking about kids. Brother, is this your question? No. Then straight up, jiska sawal hai wo khud puche. He says, whosoever's question this is, they should come and ask themselves. Why are you asking? Because they would realize it, sense it, that there's some agenda here. We don't want to. You don't need to ask on behalf. Whoever is interested in asking, let him come ask me directly. Why are you sitting there asking on his behalf? Because more than likely, this is some type of sinister plot here to make the scholar who doesn't know what's going on, the whole full background, you're just writing a small note, say something which is completely, you know, against your, 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 the one you don't like. And so I think this is a, an important point for us to keep in mind. Check your niyyah, check your niyyah. Make sure you're not standing up against the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, the, all the effort you're going to do is going to be an absolute failure and loss and eventually it will come to bite us. Allah says, yes, nas. The people ask you, anissa'a. The people ask you in disbelief about the appointed time of the hour of judgment. When is this day of judgment coming? Not that they genuinely care. If you really care and you're worried about it, no, that's not what he's mentioned here. It means in disbelief they're asking. So there's two types of sa'a. There's two types of day of judgment. Or rather, there's two types of judgment. One is the day you and I leave this world, the day we die. That is sa'at al-sughra, the small day of judgment. And then there's a sa'at al-kubra. Then there's the am general day of judgment. And that is the day when everyone will be raised up in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the plains of Hashar, Yawm al-Qiyamah. So the 
believer, he needs to re recognize and realize that, uh, keep on asking, when's my death? This is, this is true. We need to um, prepare ourselves for it all the time. You never know when it will suddenly come. People talk about insurance policies. People, you know, 30-year warranty, 30-year guarantee, 30-year fulam. You say, what are, you know, we have planned for everything in here. So people have so many levels of planning, preparation. I got SO, got SO. If this happens, then I got this. If this happens, I got this. But in all this planning, where does death fall in? What is the plan you've got for death? Let's talk about that right now. And then they don't have a plan for that. Wait, but you've got, you've planned if, 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 if so contingency upon contingency plans you've got in place. But what about death? If that comes knocking on my door and your door, which is, has to happen, all the things you just listed, are all mumkin al-wuqur. Meaning, the if there's a possibility of it happening, it is not for sure. We cannot say with confidence that it will happen. But one thing that you're leaving out is la'azim al-wujud, wajib al-wujud if you want to call it. Meaning, the, the, the aspect of death, everyone must die. That is the ultimate truth. How come that's not part of the formula? How come that's not part of the preparation? The game plan? That's what shaitan does. He makes us forget that. So they're asking, when is it going to come? Tell them that Allah knows best. Allah knows best which one? Both of them. Rasulullah, Quran says, uh, No soul knows what it's going to do tomorrow. And no soul knows in what part of the earth it will die. No one knows where we're going to pass away. Wherever your risk is, you will go. There have been so many incidents I've heard in this country of people who have arrived from overseas and who've migrated, whose family migrated here or they, and they were migrated. This was the day of their immigration to this country. The day they migrated from overseas to this country and they didn't even go to sleep that night in their bed. They were in the hospital and in the morgue the next morning. Why? It took them years to get citizenship or years rather to get the visa, green card or this and that, immigration paperwork. And literally on the first meal, I can think of two people right now. Some of them in our students' relatives. Some of them, yani within two hours of arriving, just arrived at the home from overseas, just drank a glass of water, within one and a half, two hours passed away. Another one died at dinner that same day of arrival. Got uh, choked on a bone on the dinner that was prepared for them. And died. How? Because the, the last morsel was written in, on that dinner table. The last grain of rice was written for that day. The last sip of water was written for them in that house of their son. So they couldn't die before that. If they tried as much as possible, they would never die overseas. They had to get on the flight to get over here and have their final meal. That's why they say, just like death chases you, your, your risk will chase you. It cannot happen. No soul can ever die until it completes its entire risk that's written for it. Cannot possibly die before that. Where is that grain of rice going to go? It's meant for you. It cannot go into anyone else's mouth. Did you ever think about that? It cannot. Sometimes you fall, it's like oh, you pick up a food that's on the floor, or you pick up a food on, the, on a sufra, on a dastarhan, eat it. But that was, it was never meant for someone else. It was written for you. That's what you happen to see and ate it. That's exactly what's going on. The last, oh, but then it is the last donut here. <laughs> the last munchkin, the last samosa, the last cup of chai. What it is, whatever it is, it wasn't coincidental. It was written for you and you had it. Subhanallah. So 
Allah says, وَمَا How do you know? Right? What are you... Say to them, indeed it's precise knowledge is only with Allah. But what is it that shall make you realize that it's surely coming? Only Allah knows when it's gonna come. But what's gonna make you wake up to realize that this is coming my way? For how long you're gonna be sleeping in heedlessness? Allah is asking, what's it gonna take to wake you up? Is it the death of family? Well, that's already happening. The death of neighbors, friends, the growing, the hair turning white, the pain in the bones. What is it? What aspect or what, what sign are you waiting from? From Allah Azza wa Jal to say, okay, ab mot qareeb hai. One time, uh, a person in Baghdad built a palace. And when he built that palace, he was 80 years old and he had a grand opening of this huge palace. So the, the, uh, the muhaddith, one of the scholars of hadith of that time said into his students, he said, today I have some great news. They said, Shaykh, what is the great news? He said, I got the great news that Malak al-Mawt has died and you're all going to live forever. So they couldn't believe. What is the Shaykh saying? This is something that cannot happen. Malak al-Mawt has died, we're all going to live forever. He said, Shaykh, well, how are you saying this? What do you mean by that? What, why are you saying something like this? He said, did you not hear of that wealthy person who is already in his 80s and now today he had the opening of his palace. He must have some insider news that Malak al-Mawt is dead and is not coming. Why else would he make a decision like that? So some, it's true, some people, they just don't get it. As they're growing older, they're getting further away from Allah Azza wa Jal. And they're not turning their attention towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person is young, there's all these temptations. And a person has got this narrative, false narrative, I got forever to live. That's incorrect too, we, should, we don't have forever to live. But as we grow older, most definitely, it needs to settle into our minds that we're here, our days are numbered. When you start looking at the math, it's pretty scary. You know, we should think about ourselves. All of us who are here, maybe who are, you know, including myself, right? All of us sitting here who are above 30, above 35, above 40, ask ourselves that how quickly has our life of this past 40, 50 years gone by, right? It's just like a dream. All of us, all the elders here can remember probably their senior year, can remember their childhood memories, stories as when they're seven, eight years old, who stories of that young. But it all seems a dream. It flew by decades, five decades, six decades flew by as though nothing. We can remember it. Sometimes I think myself, I'm still a kid, you know? Might be saying, when, the, when do we realize that? When the, when the kids look at you and say, uncle, right? They're like, oh my God, hey, what's going on? Because it really, I feel the same. Because I still remember such vivid, vivid memories when I'm five, six years old. Uh, from, the, from those ages. You can't imagine how quickly time has flown by. So now if we're at 40, what we have remaining, or 50, or 60, what we have remaining, my friends, is definitely, more than likely, what? Much, much less than what has passed. Either it's half, either it's a third, either it's a fourth, either it's a fifth of what's left. Very, very, you know, from this crowd of younger people here, you know, okay, some of you are lucky enough to have maybe half. I mean, equivalent left. But a lot of us got just half left. And if this, if X flew by so fast, what do you think half of X is going to be like? Right? Half, X is, you know, half of X is going to be, subhanAllah, even quicker. And it will be literally like a blink of an eye. 
So when you start thinking about it like that, it really makes us realize that it's just not worth it. Our, our focus has to be, subhanAllah, it's got to be something greater than what we're doing. If we are, you know, it's not only for 80, 90 year olds or 70 year olds, even if we're in 50 brothers, 40, really, do we really need to get that, fulfill that desire through this purse, through these shoes, through this car, through this home, through this vacation, through this, that. So much effort, so much planning is going into events, weddings, and, and, and before that, after that, all sorts of stuff. You know, I, let me just fulfill this desire. It's as though we've got nothing to live after this. The Quran says that We only have one worldly life. We live and we die. And we're not going to get raised up. So we might as well enjoy it. That's what a disbeliever says. But if a Muslim says the same thing too, I only got, man, I only got, you know, a few years left, let me just enjoy it. But what about Akhirah? The Akhirah is supposed to be the real enjoyment. That's where it all begins. The party begins there when you leave this dunya. So when we, that is why it's so important for us to reflect on death reg regularly. To put things into perspective. That it is absolutely not worth it for us to chase after the dunya. If Agya, Alhamdulillah, it's in front of you, take it. But to go overdo it, to make so much effort for one meal or for one event, to please people. Should I take from haram and halal? Should I indulge in credit card loans and all sorts of other interest-bearing loans to be able to purchase something, to be able to do something? It is a sickness and a disease. Children today are being addicted to video games, cell phones. Recently, it was so sad to see a young boy, 10-year-old, who told me himself that he's playing a video game, 10-year-old, from 8 a.m. till 4.30 a.m. the next day. 20 hours. 10-year-old, right? 20, you know, this is what's going on in our homes. How many homes, this is the reality. Father's at work, mother's also at work, or mother's busy doing her own things, and she has no idea. The son in the room, imagine how psychologically damaged this kid must be now. He really looked damaged to me. And then, it's not just being addicted to that, it's all the different people you're speaking with on the multiplayer games and this and that. These parents are not aware of the, of the type of ajeeb things that the, the video game world is all, has. So that's one addiction that we need to be aware of. And then there's an addiction of material things that adults have. They're addicted to purchasing. Purchase, purchase, purchase. Women have this and men have this. One day, you know, he would get so upset. He would say, I'm going to my friend's home. And then, he was like, you know, just discussing things. He's like, yeah, my wife has, you know, a huge wardrobe. She has a lot of clothes and a lot of shoes. He's like, okay, how many shoes does she have? <laughs> He said she had 50 pairs, 50 pairs of shoes. And he was just saying that, you know, you have the same feet that we all have. What could you possibly do with 50 pairs of shoes? You cannot wear more than one at any given time. It's a sickness, it's a craze. So some people have it for purses, some people have it for shoes, some people have it for watches, some people have it for itar, some people have it for, you know, cars, some people have it for things. We need to speak about death again and again and remind ourselves that all of this materialistic race craze that we're in is absolutely not worth it. The effort that we're putting into it, we need to start putting into an effort towards a'mal. That is a currency that will work. When a person 
brings all his rupees, he's, you know, from overseas somewhere. And he comes to the airport and he has a bag full of dirhams, dinars, or rupees, a suitcase full of them. And you come to the airport, you land in the United States airport. You say, I'm thirsty. I need to get some bottle of water, Coke, bottle of water. You go to the vending machine. You can take the whole suitcase of those rupees. You won't be able to get you one glass of water. You go to the Starbucks or a McDonald's and say, I want a juice. You give the whole suitcase of that and it will not be accepted. Zero. It's, you might as well light it on fire. No good. It's not accepted here. That's exactly what the Akhirah will be like for people who come with lots and lots of material things but zero a'mal. All the credit cards and all the bank balances and all the cars and all the contacts and all the homes and all the investments in the billions, in the millions, in the hundreds of millions, Wallahi will be zero. It will not be acceptable. That they'll say this currency we don't take. That's great that you're rich in your India and Pakistan and Afghanistan, wherever you're coming from, good for you. But that currency does not work over here. So, you know, you got to figure out. Go to, at least in the dunya, we have something called a currency exchange. In akhirah, there is no currency exchange. Right? Allah Azza wa Jal says that. Uh, right before Ayatul Kursi. There is no transactions on the Day of Judgment. Why does Allah mention bay'ah? You can't purchase deeds. Today we have bartering for everything. You cannot purchase deeds. And yes, even Bitcoin won't work tomorrow. Just in case you're thinking crypto will work. No, it doesn't. Nothing. At all will work in akhirah. No buying and selling. It will only be good deeds. So speaking about death, and reminding of this small surah, in the small, small day of judgment, Nabi Ali Sallallahu I mean, it's a saying, maybe, uh, maybe hadith may not be a hadith that man mata faqat qamat qiyamatuhu that the one who dies, his day of his qiyamah has already begun. Whoever passes away, his qiyamah has already begun. So when a person is lowered into the grave, already the hisab kitab, all of those things start start happening. Uh, some may ask, oh, what's the point of the Day of Judgment and things of that sort. So the way I explain it is that Qiyamah, I'm sorry, the grave is like a, um, a place you, you, where you stay, you wait. So if a person is in a, in a waiting lounge before he gets, you know, uh, he's in, in the business lounge before he ca- catches his business flight to go to his vac- you know, business uh, trip or vacation, whatever, even though the luxury has begun, he still has not arrived at his vacation spot. This is just the waiting area, VIP lounge, before you board the flight. So for a believer, the real Jannah is there. But just the resting spot in the grave is just going to be so nice. This is the, the hisab of, and the entry into Jannah is separate. But this is the waiting area before that. On the other hand, a criminal who has yet to be sentenced by the judge and thrown into prison, he may have to spend not a night or even months or even years in jail holding cell before his case is, comes to the court. So that is what the adab, I'm sorry, the qabr is and that's what the adab of the qabr is for a person who is yet to be who is yet to be thrown into hellfire. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَعَنَ الْكَافِرِينَ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for the disbelievers has cursed the disbelievers and prepared for them a flaming fire in the hereafter. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا abada. وَعَدَّلَمْ سَعِيرًا is prepared for them the flaming fire. Sa'ir means flaming fire. And then خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا abada. They shall live within there, abide within there forever and ever. لَا يَجِدُونَ وَلِيَّ They will neither find a patron nor a supporter. 
Since these disbelievers, if they were to have lived a life of sin and Allah were to allow them to continue a life of eternity, they would have continued to sin their entire life. That is why the punishment is also eternal. Some may say, how come it's not fair? Punishment is eternal when the sin was not eternal. Well then the same thing, how come Jannah is eternal when the good deeds are not eternal? Right? It works both ways. How is it that you only take this and you don't take the other thing? year Jannah. Who wants that? 80 year Jannah. You know, we want forever Jannah. But we say no, Jahannam is not supposed to be eternal. So that's why we sp every action here is so important because it has huge repercussions in the Akhirah. Anything we do is going to have long-lasting effects, everlasting effects. In the dunya as such, we live in a place of contacts. When you go somewhere, you can find someone, if you have enough money, if you have enough clout, you can find someone to get you out. The people of kufr, the people of batil, always seem to be finding their way out. Finding a way to bribe. Bribe their way out. Buy their way out. The Quran clearly says, when they get into hellfire, they're not going to have any patron or supporter. Because all their patrons and supporters are with them in hell. Their patrons and supporters are not good people. They're all in Jannah. Of course not. Their patrons and supporters are evil people. And they're all with them and burning in hell. What are they going to help them? How are they going to help them? And they will all be staying there for eternity. Allah says, That is the day when their faces shall be turned about in the fire of hell. And they will be saying, If only we had obeyed Allah and obeyed the Messenger. My dear respected friends, this is a really intimidating ayah. Tuqallab, imagine you are barbecuing, grilling a piece of chicken. And how you flip side to side, one side to the other until it's properly cooked on both sides. You go back and forth, you go back and forth. The Quran is saying this is how their faces will be flipped from side to side. And if it was flipping from side to side for once until your pain sensors are dead and your skin peels off and gets burnt and khalas done or die, then that would be that the, sin, the, pain, the pain is going to be short-lived. But we know Khalidin Afiyabad has already mentioned before that. And then no, it will be continuous. The Quran says in the fifth juz in Surah An-Nisa, نَضِجَتْ كُلَّمَا نَضِجَتْ جُلُودُهُمْ بَدَّلْ لَهُمْ جُلُودًا غَيْرَهَا لِيَذُوقُ الْعَذَابِ نَضَجَ means to cook. بَقْجَانَا كُلَّمَا نَضِجَتْ جُلُودُهُمْ Whenever their skin will get cooked, meaning it will get burnt beyond, you know, like, like, like a piece of flesh or meat rather that is being cooked. It's بَدَّلْ لَهُمْ جُلُودًا Allah says we will replace them with a fresh layer of skin. So that the new pain sensors can come in. All the pain sensors are gone, a new layer of pain sensors. New layer of cells to fully, continuously feel the pain of hellfire. لِيَذُوقَ adab. Allah said in the Quran clearly, why am I switching this layer, this skin with a new layer? So that they may be able to taste, taste, dhuq, taste. Just like you have sensors on your tongue. These have sensors and pain sensors uh, all over the body. So that every portion of the body can taste this hellfire. So these people, their faces are being flipped from side to side. Another place Allah says in the 24th Jews and 23rd Jews in Surah Al-Zumar. Allah says, أَفَمَنْ يَتَّقِي بِوَجْهِهِ سُوَ الْعَذَابِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَقِيلَ لِلظَّالِمِينَ ذُوْقُمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْسِبُونَ What about that individual who will try to save himself from the blazing fire using his face? Who does that in this dunya? The face is the most honorable part of your body. And our instinct is such that we will put our hands up, 
We'll do whatever we can. We want, to, we want to block the face. The most sensitive, the most important part of the body. Both from a physical perspective as well as a uh, psychological perspective in terms of this is the most honorable part of the body. Right? You'll take a hit. That's why Nabi Wasallam has taught us that we are not supposed to slap anyone on the face. Right? The deen teaches us you're never supposed to slap people on the face. Because that is a place of ikram. That is a place of honor. That is not a place to be slapped. Subhanallah. Right? Even Adin teaches us if a person, children are supposed to, you know, be rectified, whatnot. But there's a way, there's a sunnah method of that too. And one is that a person should not be mercilessly, no one is supposed to be mercilessly be beaten. Never. That is haram to do that, be it a child, be it a student, be it whatever. And also, never to do it on the face. But here, on the Day of Judgment, people will be so worried, anxious, stressed out, and going through so much pain that they won't even realize what they're doing. They will put their face forward to protect themselves from the blazing fire. Allah says, what will they be crying at that time? What are they crying about? Ya If only we had obeyed Allah and obeyed the Messenger. My beloved brothers and sisters, dear listeners, it's a reminder for myself and all of us that why? Why not just do something when we have a chance right now? Next time you and I have the opportunity to wake up for our salah, next time you and I have the opportunity to lower our gaze, next time you and I have the call to close our ears so that we don't listen to backbiting, we don't listen to lying, so we don't listen to music, just do it. It's not worth it. Would you rather suffer now with a little bit of difficulty or suffer this? Today, subhanAllah, there's so many halal opportunities to eat, halal things to eat. People are still saying, no, can we, can we go eat at that place? Huh? Can we go eat at such and such a non-Muslim restaurant that may be serving halal food? You have so many halal restaurants that do not serve pork, and do not serve alcohol, that are 100% hand-slaughtered halal. Why does a person now, you know, not to say if it wasn't available, you're allowed to. No, I'm just saying, your nafs, even if a nafs asks you, I want a burger, you have if even if there was not a single halal burger place, still we're not allowed to eat haram. But now the fact that Allah has been made it easy for us in this day and age, you can if you're if you're listening from a city that doesn't have that, you can order it. Everything is available online nowadays. I went to a place and they were telling me, Oh, you come from Chicago. We order, we have we have nihari and we have this and that from Chicago. I was like, oh, okay. How, like how? He said every you know, <laughs> we get, it comes it frozen. We we get it FedExed every Monday or every what the name? We watch you know we, in our home. I was just surprised that this is also happening. So you can FedEx Nihari now, and you can FedEx. I'm sure Halwa Pudi. You can buy actually frozen everything. Everything you can buy ready made. So there is no there is no reason for anyone now to say, oh, I'm wishing to eat something halal. So let me go and eat where non-Muslims eat. Some have at least confessed to me. They said, we want to know how it feels like to be a non-Muslim. We want to know. I told them, why are you going eating there? Well, we just want to get the feel the ambiance that non-Muslims have. Then you might as well go feel the ambiance of hellfire too, a little bit. Because that's it's the same package. It's the same package. You know, it's a value meal. You drink wine over here. You go sit on places where wine is served. You eat in places where everything is haram. Then with that is, is Jahannam waiting for an individual. What type of desire is this? I want to feel like how non-Muslims feel. Yet now as soon as we get a little rich, a little wealthier, we have a, a little extra you know, party of some people who have money, now we can no longer eat in a, in a Muslim-owned restaurant because it's, it's not classy enough. So bhai, Jahannam is going to be very classy. 
you know. You, you got to change these type of ajeeb desires that people have. If you lead a life of following desires, it will never end. It will never end. We must reflect on the verses of kufr, of, of, of verses of uh, the, the punishment for kuffar. And think about it. All these people, they enjoyed life in the dunya. They lived it up. But look at how they're begging and crying. Ya laytana high cash. If only we had believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet. But it's no good. They will say, Ya Allah, indeed, instead of following Allah and the Rasul, we obeyed our leaders and our great ones amongst us. We obeyed our leaders and great ones amongst us. And so they have made us astray. They are the ones who made us astray. This is a very important ayah as well. As we say, Urdu mein dekha dekhi. Sara kuch dekha dekhi. That's it. It's all about what others are doing. But why do you have this in your home? Because I saw it over there. My wife went to someone's house. She saw it there. So we have it. Any purpose? No, no purpose. Why are you eating at this place? So-and-so said they went there. Why do you have this car? Because someone else had it. If you notice, if you ask people, half of the things they're doing is because of others are doing it. Why so much money is being spent on this? Because I need to fit into this certain sector of society. Why are you moving from this neighborhood to that neighborhood? Because that's where all the people who have money move. Mashallah, I'm happy you have it, but why do you have to move there? But because I don't want, I want people to know that I also have. I'll give you an example. I would say that one of the, the, one of the wealthiest people in the world who's been wealthy for decades. Right? He lives in what? A $300,000 home that he bought for like maybe $150,000. He still drives a $40,000 car. No one can doubt that he's multi-billionaire and been one of the richest people for the past three, four decades. But the value is not based on that. Your value is not based on the home you live in and the car you drive in. The value is based on, in front of Allah, based on the qualities that we have. We just need to create this mindset within ourselves and our children. That don't do, don't, do not, we're not, we're not here to follow others. Because it starts from a child. If your son says, Baba, I want to wear this type of shoes. Ask him why. Tell, you know, it's not about the fact that it's $150. It's the fact that why do you want to do it? You're doing it because your classmates are wearing it. And that's the big disease. It starts off with shoes, it starts off with bags, it starts off with small things, and then it goes into fancy cars. That same disease. Dekha dekhi. Everyone is doing it, so I gotta do the same thing. You can say that $150, here you go. $150, I'm putting in an account for you. You can buy whatever you want from it. But not this pair of shoes. It's not the issue of money. It's the issue that this is a symptom of a very big disease. Right now it's small, but it'll go huge. Is that you want to fit in. That you want, you are thinking that your value is based on the things you wear, the way you dress, the what you drive, what you, where you live, and you're, you, don't have, you don't have any self-worth. You're looking at what others are, and you're thinking that I, if I want self-worth, I need to be accepted by these people. And they won't accept me unless I have this, 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 this. So by this, this disease starts at the age of six, and it just becomes grow bigger, bigger. By the time you're 65, it becomes like a, you know, beyond repairable cancer. A person can't give up on that. I remember I shared this story a lot with the students. I, one day when I was a young a boy, went to for Umrah, and we're in Medina. And that time in Masjid Nabawi, in the Sihan, in the courtyard of Medina Al-Munawwara, they used to have small shops in the courtyard itself. And they used to have, one of the, some, most of these were ithar shops. So after Fajr, I just w walked into one of these small little shops. I mean, not, it's, it's like maybe 15, 10 feet by 10 feet, stall, booth. 
So the uncle was sitting there reading a newspaper. Desi uncle was sitting there reading a newspaper. So I'm a little kid, probably nine years old, ten. I walk in and I say, uh, I look around. Uh, you know, he's not even paying attention. He's like, whatever this kid wants. You know, he's just coming here looking at things. I asked him, Konsi right? So being talkative, I think I even asked him, like, which one do you use? Like, what's a good quality? So then he put his newspaper down. He looked at me and said, Berta, you know, son, I'm giving you some advice. I don't use any of this stuff. Because these are all expensive things. Obviously, if you have a stall, on, in the, not outside, in the courtyard of Masjid Nabi, imagine the prices. Imagine the rent of that. It's unbelievable, right? We're talking about probably thousands and thousands of riyals per month. So obviously, each bottle is going to be Hundreds of riyals or, or more. He said, I don't use that. Then he told me, he's like, yeah. He said, Me kisi cheez ke apne aapko aadhi nahi banata hon. Na itar ka, na chai ka, na kuch. Right? He said, usse zindagi pir badi mushkil ho jati hai. I don't make myself habitual of anything. Of expensive cologne, expensive itar, of specific type of tea, etc. When you make yourself accustomed to these things, then if you have it, you, you're happy. If you don't have it, you'll be in big trouble. And you're not always going to have money to spend on these things. You might not, there's going to be other priorities in life. So don't make these type of things, you know, don't add more baggage to your life unnecessarily. Because you might not always have the money to be able to take care of these hobbies. What an amazing piece of advice he gave that I'm sharing with you. Another brother was telling me, he was... I was, I was living, I was, uh, went to visit him at his home. And he's sitting with his siblings. And mashallah, beautiful home, beautiful, you know, whatnot. So then he said something in Arabic, and his, because they're Arab brothers, the bro, his brothers started laughing uncontrollably. I said, wait, what's the joke? What happened? So he said, you know, when our father was alive, alhamdulillah, we used to have a lot of wealth. And a very affluent lifestyle we led. And... Um, one, one of the brothers used to tell the younger brother that, listen, take it easy on spending. On the cars, on, the, on your partying, take it easy. And he wouldn't listen, younger one. And he said, after our father passed away, we lost everything. He said, we lost everything to the extent that we, all we had Mercedes, BMWs, everything, back home. He said, we lost everything, literally we had a donkey car. He said, more than half of the time, we'd have to be pushing the car. Because it would be breaking down, be running out of this, running out of that, this thing that they're bringing. So we saw so much poverty after our father passed away. So much difficulty. And he said, one of the things that the older brother used to tell the younger one, who would never would listen, and now he said, he, sta- he would quote a statement of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, which is, Ikhshaw shinu fa inna ni'ama la tadum. Beautiful statement. Ikhshaw shinu fa inna ni'ama la tadum. Ikhshaw shinu means be accustomed to leading a course or a hard life. Be accustomed to living a difficult life. Make yourself accustomed to leading a difficult life. For indeed, blessings do not always remain with you. Blessings do not always remain with you. So if a person is accustomed to riding a, driving a very simple car, then if it comes more than alhamdulillah, if not, at least he's able to take care of that. But if he's making himself accustomed to something extremely luxurious, then life may not always treat you in that manner. And when you get flipped around in life and the tables get turned and you lose everything or, or you get tested by something, then a person goes into crazy depression, anxiety, a lot of other bigger problems happen. Losing money is not the biggest problem. It's what happens after that. A lot of people lose money, but then they're able to keep themselves 
firm and like how we talked about last week, a person who's dying, you know, and, and but how he has this rida bil qada, he's happy with Allah's pleasure. He's like, it's my time. If it's my time is up, fine, I'm gonna allow my last three, four months of my life to be spent well, properly. With subhanAllah. Right? So but the idea is if a person keeps himself leading a simple life, not making not allowing his heart to get attached to too many material things then the day it's time for us when Allah calls us back, it'll be easy for us to leave this world. So we're just speaking about from a young age, make this tarbiyah. That dekha dekhi nahi karna hai. We're not gonna sit there and follow what others are doing. This is what the people of Jahannam will say. Why, why are you here? Inna ta'ana saadatana wa kabra. Hamne bado ki baat mani. We followed our big shots. We followed the VIPs. We followed the guy, the ch- women and the men who have the highest Instagram followers, highest Twitter followers, highest Facebook followers. You know, this and that. Those are the kubara'ana. That's what the kubara and sada are. Those are the leaders. The people who have the biggest following. If we follow those who have the biggest following, فَضَلُّوا adallu, They're going to go astray themselves. They're going to lead us all astray. That mindset must be created within our youth from a young age. Don't try to win the popularity contest. Don't do things what are popular. Like, don't do that just because everyone is buying this type of phone. or Everyone is buying this type of new device. Sab karen to chala humbi karen. If you want to buy it, buy it later on. Not now. Because you want to break the cycle in the mind that we do what others do. Because this type of mentality will take us towards hellfire. The Qur'an uses the word majority in the Qur'an. You've heard me say this countless times. The word majority in the Qur'an is used almost all the time in a negative context. That the majority of the people do not understand, do not comprehend, do not take advice, do not take heed, do not believe. And when it comes to minority, the Qur'an uses it majority of the time what? In a positive sense. قَلِيلٌ مَاهُمْ قَلِيلٌ مِنْ عَبَادِ شَكُرٍ Very few are believers, very few are grateful, very few are thoughtful. So we need to prepare ourselves and our children to be happy with being with the minority. This is where the success will be in. The Prophet ﷺ was one versus whatever, how many people were at that time? Billion, two billion? Population of the world, I'm saying. Right. Nuh after a thousand years of approximately working, only 80 people. That's it. So we don't get phased by numbers. Let's teach that. We can only teach it to our children if we believe it ourselves. We only teach it to our children if we believe it ourselves. Making like how the fever of, of purchasing something or doing an event in a certain hall. Look at the fever. Wait, why are you doing here? Someone else did it. So either we have to beat them or do it at least the same. How many dishes they they have? We have to have equivalent or more. This is where our deen is going down the drain. Just simply trying to follow one another. Rabbana, now these people, what will they say about those Instagram leaders and athletes and artists that they've loved to emulate? They'll say, Rabbana Atim Dafin, oh Allah. Please, Ya Allah, please, give them double the torment that you're giving us. We're burning here. But I request you to give them double. At least so that we can feel a little bit content. That the ones who brought us into this problem are suffering more than us. And not just that, Moreover, curse them with a terrible curse. Guess what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell them? Allah says, I'm not going to let you even enjoy seeing the people who brought you here suffer more than you. 
Because that's enjoyment, right? Instead, Allah says, says, they are fading in the Every single one of you. Don't I'm going to double it for both of you. I'm going to double it for both of you. You asked for them to get doubled, I'll do it for them and for you. Subhanallah. This, these are the discussions that Quran mentions in Surah Al-Sabah. The next surah that's coming up has that whole discussion. The, the, the upper class is being the lower class, lower class is being the upper class. And they're looking at each other and they, while they're burning in hell. The upper class is telling the lower class, you think we stopped you from guidance? No, you're the ones we didn't want to follow. Okay, we're here, but don't blame us for this. The lower class will tell the upper class. The followers will tell the followed ones. The, the trendsetters. What do you call those? Influencers. The influenced ones will tell the influencers. No, don't lie. You you plotted and thought all day and all night. Makr means plotting. All day and all night, that was your plot. When you used to order us, when you used to command us, that we should disobey Allah and we should make partners with Him. Allah says, discussion, discussion will be happening between this one and this one. But when the adab will come, they will hide their hasra, their remorse inside. It's too late. Their own pain and grief and remorse, they will hide it because they realize it's too late. So the whole music industry, right? The pop culture, what is it? It's continuous thought, thinking through each music that is released, through all the concerts, through all the videos, through all the posts. How can we get more followers on our path? We're going towards hell, we want more to join us. Every single day, they win over people. And as though it was not enough for the Western world to suffer, unfortunately, they're suffering, they're suffering. What type of life is this? Right? This is not Christianity, not Judaism, not Islam. This is Satanism. That's what it is. And now the same filth has now been taken into the Muslim countries. Now you have concerts. If you look at you know, literally, you cannot believe Muslims are acting like this. In Muslim lands, 50 miles from Makkah al Mukarramah, 40 miles from Makkah al Mukarramah. And now they just announced 12 or 10 new cinemas going to be opening in Madinah Munawwara. Mufti Taqi Afmani tweeted about this. He said, Ispe kon roega? Kon samajega? Mufti Taqi, he's been openly been speaking about this. He's like, who's going to sit there and cry about this? 10 new cinemas opening in Madinah Munawwara. Right? This is the era we're living in. So Batil is working extra hard. That we're, if the time is wrapping up, the day of judgment is coming close. And so the, the final number, the final tally of how many people are going to hell and how many people are going to paradise is coming closer. Get it? This is we're in the la, not even the last quarter, last portion of the last quarter. Hmm? So now we have to make sure Ashab al Jahim's numbers go more. The people going to hellfire, the numbers should outdo the people of. That's exactly, I'm not adding any flavor here. This is exactly what shaitan is all about. Shaitan, what did he say? Give me respite. Give me time. You're going to send me to hell? Okay. But I need time. So he knows his time is coming up. Because this side is coming. He's, he's looking at the day of judgment closer than any one of us are. And he's saying that my days are numbered for me to get as many people with me in hellfire. So now he's employing all sorts of new tactics. And using social media to the full. And using music, musicians and artists with all their uh, you know, uh, plots and plans to be able to 
get our youth. Not only the non-Muslim youth, but our Muslim youth. Of course, coming to all of this, unfortunately. They think today, the, the Muslim youth, who, who do they follow? They, they're not interested in any. You have one concert over here. There's no, no Islamic fundraiser, no Islamic event will ever bring a crowd. I was shocked when I heard, you know, what the concert, Pakistani Indian concerts, what type of crowd they bring in. In America, the thousand, no Islamic conference has ever been held that had this many people. What is, well, that's where the Ummah is headed. You have one concert, you have one thing, and the people rush towards that. These are du'at ala abwabi jahannam. The Prophet said, they are callers who are standing on the doors of hellfire. Bulal, ajaw bai ajaw. It reminds me of Pakistan when I was studying there. People would say, bai ajaw, ajaw, bai ajaw. Come purchase from here. Come get from here. When you come out of haram, for after you, you need to go for umrah, after umrah you want to get your hair cut, all the brothers from Multan, they come there. Bai idar ajaw, idar ajaw. Das rupay, das rupay. Ten riyals, come get your hair cut over here. Uh, this is how these people are. All, these, all of these inviters towards hellfire, are standing on various platforms and saying, come, 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 please, come. I want to have the honor of being the means of you going to hellfire. I want to get my commission from Iblis. Because that's what Iblis does, he gives out commission. The more people, they become a means of misguiding, the closer they get to Iblis, and then Iblis gives them more of their things that they want. All, of, all through the permission of Allah, of course. This is how it works. This is how it works. So that day, they're going to be cursing their people who they follow. And guess what? F followers and leaders, I mean, uh, the, uh, the big men, are not just musicians and artists and, and, and athletes and, uh, who are not, you know, un-Islamically doing things or things like that. No, a person, their wife or their husband can also be this. In a sense that anyone who obeys their spouse while disobeying Allah will be saying the same thing. They'll be cursing their spouse in hellfire. Whoever disobeys Allah in order to obey his children, whoever disobeys Allah in order to obey his spouse, my dear friends, that's their sada as well. Those are the people that are going to be cursing on the Day of Judgment. Ya amanu. Allah Azza wa says, O believers, la takunu Musa. Do not be from amongst those people. Musa, who maligned Musa with a false charge. Do not be like with those people who attacked Musa with a false charge. Yet Allah vindicated him of what they said. For he was in the sight of Allah ever eminent. What, what is this meant here? Do not be like those who malign Musa There are various opinions mentioned here. I'm going to share one thing here. Is that these are the people from Bani Israel who disbelieved in Musa. And they called him a liar, they called him a safi, they called him a fool, like they, they do with all the prophets. The prophets don't get hurt by physical pain or emotional pain as much as they get hurt when people neglect and oppose their da'wah. Because they said, you know, like, like think about it. Like a child, you're telling him, Berta, you know, don't, don't go there. He says, I don't care. And you know that it's not safe there. He may get hurt, he may actually die there. He's not listening to you. So now are you upset and hurt that he's not listening to you? Or actually are you more worried that he's actually his life may be in danger there? Think about it. Right? The fact that you, his life may be at peril and may die is something that's actually much more worrisome to you than, than the fact that he didn't listen to you. So for the prophets, all the physical pain, emotional pain they'll handle. Because what they have seen with their eyes is that they've, Allah has removed a certain, a certain portion of the veils. And they have seen the blazing fire of Jahannam. They have seen things of the unseen that Allah has wants them to see. 
and they have got an understanding of, the, of certain aspects that we have no understanding of. And so after having seen that, they are wanting to save us from that. So Musa was hurt. And like the other prophets who were maligned with false charges that you are a poet, you are, an, you are a fortune teller, you are a magician. Allah Azza wa says, فَبَرَّأَهُ Allah. Allah vindicated him. Allah vindicated him. So what is idha? Any word, any statement that a person says with the, with the purpose of disconnecting people from Allah, this is adha. Or any type of statement a person says in order to harm the Prophet or in order to instigate people to harm the Prophet, or to instigate people to turn their backs from the message of the Prophets, these are all idha. This is all going to be counted as being an assistant of shaitan. People are of two types. One group of people who are connected with Allah and one that are disconnected with Allah. One that is going to be bringing people closer to Allah, the other one is going to be pushing people away from Allah. One that's going to make Allah beloved to the people, one that's going to make Allah hated to the people. One that's going to show people guidance, one is that's going to show the path towards misguidance. One that tries his best to, to be a source of positive energy within wherever he is in the community. And one is the one who says that, no, I'm going to use my resources to bring harm and difficulty and pain and suffering where we are. So we need to ensure that we're from that group of people who are always standing up for what's right and not be from amongst those that are standing up for what's falsehood. Be from amongst those in whose hands or who ends up becoming the means of opening up the doors of khair and goodness and locking the doors of evil. Be the one who becomes a means of people falling in love with Allah and not the other way around. So we are as human beings, we're very dynamic. right? We are always on the move. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a, a tongue that's constantly moving. Hands are constantly moving. A, a, a mind that's at the speed of lightning working. Right? We're always in, on the move. So you have to ensure that the movement is in the right direction. You cannot just be happy that you're moving. Life is going. Chalri. Gari chalri. Kis taraf chalri. The car is moving. You're, you're in what direction? But, right? What direction? Is it towards Allah or is it the opposite? Remember they say you, you, you got to be with us or against us. You can't be in between. Well, same thing. Every single step that we take is either towards Allah or away from Allah. Towards paradise or towards hell. There's no such thing as a neutral step. There's no such day as a neutral day. Every step that we take is either towards one direction or the other. And so sometimes a person says, no, but I'm not too pious. I'm taking the middle road. People, interestingly, I've shared this with you. People call me. And I don't know what they think I am. They say, oh, we're looking for a, a groom for our daughter. We're looking for a bride for our son. I say, okay, what else? But make sure that, you know, like this, like that, but not too pious. <laughs> Why, what do you think? I hang out with people like this? Like this is something. No, I want to go find out in the community. Who are the people who don't have taqwa? Chalo, let me hang out with you. And then I'm going to see that, you know, I'll get you all married if you're not already. Why would you call me and ask these type of things? We're sharamati even listening to these type of conversations. I want someone that's beautiful but doesn't wear hijab. I want some, a person who is a doctor but make sure he doesn't have a beard. Okay, if you want that, I can't stop you, but why you call me and ask me for this stuff? So this is the ajib mindset that people have. The fact that they don't even regard this as a problem. This is pretty scary. Right? Like this is for me is a very bad. Like you literally regard disobedience of Allah 
as a criteria for choosing a spouse. I want you to disobey Allah at least 20% of the time, 50% of the time. Like, Subhan, look what you're saying, man. Look what you're saying. We can be, I'm the, who am I to speak? Big sinner. But do we make this the criteria? Then no, I want someone who is like this. Who is actually, alhamdulillah, proven herself as a track record of disobeying Allah. Breaking at least 20% of the verses of the Quran. That's exactly what you're saying. Anyone who's trying to find this in their spouse and making this a criteria, I warn you, that's what you're doing. You're, you're really, really gonna have to make tawbah and think what you're doing before you face the major consequences in the akhirah. If a, 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 a person, he, you know, no one in his family wears hijab, he himself you know, has the worst habit. Why? Okay. Say that I want a wife that follows full deen. Inshallah, through her barakah will change. Why you say that I follow 10% and I want someone who follows 5%? then definitely you haven't understood deen at all. And you definitely didn't understand Allah who Allah is. Because you would have never uttered those type of things. And never uttered those type of things. Can you imagine someone coming to your home, you're inviting them to their home. You, you invited them. And the way and saying, you know what, by the way, I just ran over your, your, you know, your mailbox and I, I broke a couple of your chandeliers outside. And where's, where's the food? I mean, you wouldn't do that. If you did that, like how ashamed you would be, right? You'd sit there, put the put the envelope of the, all the money and quietly walk away. I'm so sorry, man. How can a person openly declare that they are disobeying Allah and they want their marriage to be based on the disobedience of Allah? If ours, if we, and those of us who are not married yet, think a hundred times, think a thousand times before you get married. You're gonna be making the biggest mistake of your life if you marry someone who is openly disobedient to Allah. Something you didn't know, you found out after marriage, fine. But you're finding someone who themselves does not have taqwa in their life. Salah, big basic thing. If they're not praying five times a day salah on time, right? Why even go down that route? If a person does not dress modestly, males or females, why go down that route? If a person has a habit of, of looking haram, listening to haram, participating in all sorts of other type of events, why go down that route? You, is that really going to be acceptable in front of Allah as an excuse? No, you have no excuse. You can say, I'm weak, I'm trying to change. But then what made you marry that person? Why? How could you face Allah and say, Ya Allah, I gave preference to your disobedience over everything else. I wanted a person who disobeyed you. I wanted a person who flaunted their beauty. I wanted a person who didn't care about their hijab. I wanted a person who, don't, who didn't care about the people they hang out with. I don't think we're going to be able to face Allah with that. So there are these two types of people that you, who, are, who are either straight and connected with Allah and connecting people with Allah or the other way around. So I was saying, we're all, we're all dynamic people who are constantly on the move. You have to ask yourself, in what direction are you using the resources Allah has given you? Are you connecting people with Allah, establishing the deen of Allah where you go? Or are you doing the opposite? You're trying to break the deen of Allah and disconnect people with Allah Azza wa Jal. From Allah Azza wa Jal. Similarly, a person, he doesn't have the deen. When you have a party, you gather friends, make sure you go above and beyond what your deen is. You're not particular, or a certain individual is not particular about what he eats. He doesn't go into the nitty-gritty of ingredients, for example, or even halal or haram, unfortunately. That's between you and Allah, but you're inviting people. You want to make sure you go above and beyond that. A person does not observe hijab, does not observe this and that. Now you're inviting people to a wedding or, 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 or a uh, get-together. For the sake of these people, for that they don't become cursors for you in, uh, in Jahannam. Well, otherwise these people showed up to your party. That's what they're going to do. They're going to curse us on the Day of Judgment. Ya Allah, He's the one who kept on inviting me to these type of gatherings with all this haram was happening. And I just obliged because He was a big shot. 
So I had to show up to, you know, to Fulan Saab's house. That's what happened. This is Chaudhary. Now, we don't mean that the official name. We're talking about, you know, <laughs> the Orf, Orf. You have to show up the big shot who comes. So that's why whatever level of deen we're at, what do we have to make sure? That when we're doing collective gatherings and we're inviting people, that level of the deen should be above that. You need to say, we're sinners. So our gathering should also be like sinners. No. You don't want to rope in other people who will then testify against us on the day of judgment. So this is what the Quran says, We'll continue on this discussion next week as well, inshaAllah. And tomorrow, next week will definitely, inshaAllah, be the last dars of Surah Al-Ahzab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he, he vindicated them. So we learn from here, and we'll, uh, next week we'll continue from this part about whoever is being marginalized, whoever is being attacked, whoever's honor is being attacked, whoever is being maligned, as bad as it may seem, one day it will be that the reality of theirs will come true. People will come to realize that this person was falsely being accused. For all those who, may be suffer, who have suffered in their life, in the past or suffering right now. Now let me make it easy for you. If you've been um, falsely accused of something, and no matter how bad the accusations may be lined up against you, a day will come when Allah will exonerate you. That day may be in this dunya, or that day may be in the akhirah. So inshallah, let's try our best to join us next week here, after Maghrib, uh, to complete the final dars of Surah Al-Ahzab. Anyone here so far who haven't missed a single day of Surah Al-Ahzab? Anyone in this crowd who has not missed a single day? Maybe there, I'm sure there's people listening online. I'm sure. But on site, we're just wondering. No? Uh, next week is eight? Okay. What do you brothers say? Should we change? Should we from next, the last week? Uh, I mean, we're going to continue. Inshallah, we won't stop. After next week, we'll be a new surah. Would you like to change it after Isha? Isha is eight from next week. Would that be easier? Yeah, who says after Isha? Eight o'clock after Isha would it be easier for you. Okay, huh? So, yeah, inshallah. So those who are coming from work, inshallah, will be easier for you. Aisha is eight, and then we're also making arrangements for more snacks and things of that sort. We'll slowly build up on that uh, uh, for those who are staying here for the tafsir after Aisha. You know, so right now we have chai and biscuits and things of that sort. But from next week, when it's after Aisha, then we'll be able to have a little bit more time after the tafsir. Those who want to sit down and mingle a little bit, socialize meet the students and the students can meet them and, and if you have questions etc we wanted to create an environment where you can come for the tafsir also and spend some get to know each other mashallah look at this beautiful group of brothers here right for people to get to know one another and so that we become like classmates who are attending alhamdulillah the weekly uh weekly dars over here so if you haven't already registered right please do so so we want to have a set group of brothers who we know that we're connected with on the way out there's a laptops there uh if you have not registered please please do so it takes a moment to do that just for our, for the tafsir class then you'll be given a poll, you know, if, if you want to give feedback, you want to ask questions, you want to answer a poll, etc. We can communicate with you. So I request you to please, on the way out, um, take care of that, inshallah. Let's do it again. inshallah, a few minutes. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله 
لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الله 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 لا اله الا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته